0: I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct.
2: What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by Indeed and BetOnline.ag. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And the Lakers pull off a 121-107 victory over the San Antonio Spurs today, moving to a 3-2 and record. And this was the Lakers' first game outside of Staples, first road game uh, out in San Antonio. And I've been thinking this for you know, probably the last week or so, not just watching the Laker games, but watching the games around the league and the late us going out on the road really solidified this, uh, for me. And I'd love to talk to you guys about this is Darius, you and I've been Laker fans since the eighties. Mike, I know you're a lifelong NBA fan as well. And you've, you're now a grizzled veteran of course, of being in these arenas and whatnot. This is, with between the cavernous empty arenas, um, and you know we had a few fans in the, in in the stands tonight, and so many blowouts. Right, the Clippers lose by fifty-one the other day. Miami gets smacked by forty-five. An NBA Finals team, forty-five last night, and then tonight they win by eight or nine. Right against the same team. All of these back-to-backs, kind of baseball style of playing the same team more than once. We play the San Antonio Spurs next. This has been the strangest basketball, NBA basketball I've ever seen, even more for me than the bubble, because in the bubble, it took them a little bit, and maybe we'll look back at this and say the same thing, let's hope, but I thought the basketball was pretty good in the bubble, and it didn't take too long to get there, but of course, they were only a couple weeks from the playoffs, and there was that sense of urgency that was built in. Darius, in your I, are you seeing similar things? And if so, what are kind of what are your thoughts on it on the reasons why? and just uh, and if there's a is there an end date to this? Is this something that the league will snap out of? I mean
1: the basketball has not been that great. I think it's been a lower quality of basketball than what we saw at the restart and maybe some of this is expectations based we talked about expectations some last pod right in relation to anthony davis and i think we all sort of have our own built-in ideas about what we think something should look like and what we think it should be and then whether it exceeds or does not meet that basically that's how we then view things through that prism right it's like it's what i always say about like coach of the year award or or something like that right like the coach of the year award is the guy who whose team won more games than what we expected them to
2: yeah that's the oh we thought you were going to suck but you didn't really suck award that's basically what that is in the end that's
1: idea. exactly what that is right and and so i think a part of it is that we thought that the basketball would probably be at least on par with what the bubble was. And it's just not yet. I think some of that is the stuff that you mentioned with the cavernous arenas and teams getting used to playing in their home courts, but not having any fans there. There are not being any video boards up or any of the stuff that would sort of make something seem smaller to them and more intimate. But I also think the short turnaround, especially in relation to training camp, is really messing with these teams. And some nights you have it and some nights you don't. That would be my take. Mike, I know that you have obviously been at some of these games. You're obviously not traveling with the team right now, but all these games that were in Staples Center, even going back to to the preseason, you were there. Um, do you have, like... Is it a different perspective from your vantage point? Is it, do you think it's more arena based? Do you think it's more routine or is it just the turnaround and like, it's going to be like this for maybe two or three
3: more weeks for these guys? Yeah. The biggest thing is the fans. It just is. That's what gives these games the juice. That's what gives these arenas uh, as cavernous as they are. That's what provides the oomph. And so when a team gets down, if uh, even if it's 10 points in the first quarter, that's usually when the crowd, whether you're home or away, you know, either like either side of that coin, that's when that extra uh, that extra oomph kicks in for guys, and it's just not there yet. And so I've been to Staples Center, and it's a super super different experience. It feels like we're all sort of just there on our own's uh, on our own, I should say, and there the players I think get a sense of that. And so I was not expecting the basketball to be as good as in the bubble because the difference from the bubble and set aside the smaller arena, it's just the stakes in the bubble. The teams that once we got there, some teams like Portland and Phoenix had to win every game right away. So that alone provided a certain amount of emphasis. Then you got to the postseason and it's the postseason. It's the playoffs. Like those are the games where you can't afford to lose. So, uh, that the good news is this will change. This will evolve as, as everybody, uh, all of the teams get closer to the postseason, and who knows as the vaccination proliferates, uh, as the vaccine goes around the country, hopefully there will be a point where some more fans can come in certain States and so on. But this is what that's all about. And the Lakers have had the better end of that a couple of times. Um, I think on ring night, it hurt them because they went from having the rings and feeling all emotional with emotional with their families. And then the ball tipped and it's like, Oh wait, if they're like there's nobody here. You know, and meanwhile the Clippers, of course, had that all built up. That was the only thing that they had been thinking about. So yeah, it's uh it's it's a reality of where the situation is now. It's it's not a surprise. It's gonna keep going like this for a little bit, but things will pick up um as the standings become more and more factor.
1: No, it's interesting that you say that, Mike, about the fans, because I was listening to um a recent episode of the JJ Reddick pod. And he was talking about how they played the Raptors. And I think that might've been opening night and the Raptors are not in Toronto because Ontario will not allow them to play there right now. And so they have relocated to Tampa for how long that will be the case. I think we'll see, but they're currently the Tampa Raptors and not the Toronto Raptors and Tampa in, you know, Florida going to Florida, They had J.J. Reddick said that they had like 6,500 fans or like in their arena. And this isn't even an NBA like they were playing, I guess, at the arena that the Lightning play in. So it's a smaller arena than an NBA arena. It's it's a hockey arena. And he was saying it sort of felt weird. Right. Because he's just like, there's a bunch of people here. And like we haven't played in front of people in a long time. The Pelicans were in the bubble. They did not make the playoffs, but they were in the bubble. So they've played in this type of an environment before. And but now there's fans there. But he did say, Mike, to your point, that there was a little bit of that juice that comes with fans being there. And these aren't even NBA fans, really, right? Like they're obviously NBA fans, but they're not Raptors fans. Like they're just general people who want to watch an NBA game. And it's in Tampa. but. I think that speaks to your point just about people being there and cheering, whether it's for you or against you or just for an exciting play that gives you that boost.
2: Right, Pete? What's the difference, though, between that and the bubble strictly on this? Right. Mike's absolutely right about the stakes. Do you guys think like would the bubble have been this way had the games not really mattered in the way they don't matter or at least as much as they do later in the season? Do you think it would have been the same?
3: No, it, it, but Pete, you can't dismiss the stakes. Like that's if so if tonight's game against the Spurs were a playoff game, then the Lakers no, would have totally. played a lot harder on defense, regardless of so like that's all. So if you if you go to Venice Beach tomorrow to play pickup and well, okay, bad example because of the pandemic, but it's a like non-pandemic time, and it's just packed around your court and you're not sure. playing anything, then the game's gonna have juice. Now, if there are no people there, but the winner gets a million dollars, the game's gonna have juice.
2: Sure. No, no, no. I... I totally agree with you. I was wondering if, if you guys thought that that was the sole factor that kinda, cause these games definitely feel weird. Like they feel much weirder to me than the bubble, which had like digital fans. Like there was nothing normal about that environment. This is at least the San Antonio arena, the Lakers arena, right? But this is stranger to me, and, and I think you're absolutely right because of the lack of fans, right? Is um, I've been you know working on videos for the Lakers and the great Josh Williams, right? If you ever see a six foot six redhead on the baseline, that's our guy, Josh.
3: And he's, he's truly, truly great person. Truly fantastic individual. Yes.
2: I, I I love Josh and Josh has taught me a ton. Right. Exactly. Josh has taught me a ton about editing and all of the different components that go into that. So I'm a way better editor now than I was when they hired me in June. And that's like 95% because of Josh. And, so he's taught me about nat sound, which is short for natural sound, right? And this is the, this is Lawrence Tantor. This is the crowd to squeaking of the sneakers, the, you know, ball bouncing on the court, but just the importance of it, making sure that you're fading out at the right times. Sometimes there isn't a good mic on the rims. So if there's like a really pretty swish, but it doesn't make that really pretty swish sound, you go clip it from another part and no, no one's any the wiser, right? Anyway. I had all of these clips from last year, right? As we were catching up with the Nat sound and, and Josh was teaching me about Nat sound then, and now I'm pretty, pretty good with it. And this year, the melts and all of the footage that comes with it, it comes with like eight different audio tracks and a couple of them are, are the announcers and a couple of them are uh, the Nat sound. The Nat sound is downright, like I've, I've never thought of a basketball game as creepy before. But it is this ghostly, creepy, ethereal type of feel to it that I, I, I love hearing your perspective on it from the arena, Mike, is that,
3: that that's how like, the arena feels, too. Yeah.
2: We're like haunted almost. Right. And
3: yeah. and so yeah. was,
2: it's this it's weird. That's yeah, it's so weird, guys. And so I, I very much think that along with the stakes um, that I don't. I don't know if the bubble would have felt the same way, even if they would have played earlier. Like, because I think the size of the gym factors into that a little bit too. Um, anyway, I just wanted to share a little bit of, of that with the, with the fans.
3: Well, there's one other element too, and that's just the simple fact that these teams are not really practicing the same or as much. They're not really having the same type of shoot arounds because they have to get up for COVID testing. And then there's a certain time lag where, you know, you have to make mm. sure that everybody's negative. And so like that, Frank Vogel, he wouldn't use this word. I'm just, I'm inferring this word from the way that he speaks about it. Just hates this, right? Somebody who loves to make sure the team is prepped a certain way. And, um, you know, I don't know if like, if Doc Rivers feels the same way, you know, Doc is a notorious, not as into the shoot around element of it, but there, there's that part of it, I think seeps in on some account. And it's why to me, Darius, the offense has been better than the defense so far in part because. It's just it's more of like a pickup feel, and these guys yeah, are not as locked in on defense. You saw like how many times in tonight's game, as we recorded, uh, we're recording right after the Spurs game, that they just got to the Lakers' rim, and the Lakers were kind of, okay, and then they just went down and scored on the other end. That, that lack of uh, just typical attention to detail that they picked up, uh, certainly when they needed to, and I think that's part of it as well. It's just they weren't as familiar. This Spurs team is much faster and different from the typical Spurs team. And it took them a little bit to adjust to that, whereas I think they would have probably covered that at more length if they had a normal shoot around,
1: so this begs a question for me then, because you guys have known me for a long time, and you guys have followed my work, I think, a little bit before you even knew me as like a person, right? So you've been reading my thoughts, which I appreciate. Thanks for the page clicks, guys, for a long time, I should say. and, I was like,
3: "How does this guy know this much about? about, Like, who is this dude? Why is he? How does he know how to break down this stuff like this?" Yeah, legendary Darius when I first got to LA. Uh, Yeah, man.
1: (laughs) So I'm not an overreactor. I like to play the long game. I like to try to put everything into the proper context. And so, Mike, you raise a good point here about some of the lack of general preparation for a team that when and for a head coach that we think Frank Vogel's probably one of the more prepared coaches in the league. And I think that the Lakers were one of the more prepared teams in the bubble. And I think that that showed based off of the in game and game to game adjustments that they deployed when they got to the playoffs. Right. And so some of the things I've seen from the Lakers, particularly defensively in this early part of the season has been like, what the hell is going on with this? Absolutely. Team? Defensively. So do you think, and I think, Mike, you probably already answered this with the point that you were making before, but I'd like for you guys to expound on this a little bit if you're in agreement here. Do you think that some of the mistakes or issues that we're seeing with the Lakers defensively, two guys rotating to the same person— Today, Pirtle, in the first quarter, he walled off multiple defenders and allowed guys to get easy layups right at the rim in like semi-transition. And I'm like, what the hell is
2: this? That's the thing, though, is that a lot of the mistakes are general basketball stuff. It's not like a bump rotation where... You know, you're in a half court set and you've got to be really precise. This is basic basketball principles like our transition defense, the possessions that you were talking about in that first quarter. It's like stop ball, tag the rim runner, like talk, because when you're in transition defense, like you get cross matched and scrambled based on how the offensive possession goes. And so it's just very basic. These guys have been doing this their whole lives as they retreat back on defense, you're talking, I got him, you got him. Coaches have different rules on like point positive means that like, if you point toward a guy, that means that I've got him. Other coaches want it that if you point to a guy, that means I want you to get that guy, like that guy's open and someone needs to, but like all this, but even that, that's more complicated than a lot of the mistakes that are being made that like these dudes know how to play it. There's just a lack of communication, uh, a, a lack of focus that it's not just the lakers that's the thing i i rewatched that portland game the other night right you know how irritated i was the other night and i watched it right after our pod and i was like huh i wasn't as mad after the rewatch because i was like portland was doing bullshit too and then i turn on the tnt game and then I, it's like God, you see Miami's defense. We played these dudes in the finals, right? As of yesterday, it's different because we won in Boston won, But the conference finalists last year were like six and nine in their first fifteen games, and it, so it's I've I've gone from like really irritated the other night, like all right, guys, we got to lock in and every day make every day count, to trying to see a broader picture of like. Yo, the league is in a weird place right now. And I'm still trying to wrap my head around all of what that means.
3: And just not to be repetitive, from earlier, but it is the fans. And that's the like, think about this. Everybody likes to play offense. If you go out in your backyard right now, you're probably going to shoot some jumpers. I doubt you're going to get into the defensive slides.
2: No, that's, not doing defensive great. slide drills. So, <laughs> not sitting in the chair. No, nope, none of that. And,
3: and and if you but if you look up in the stands and I mean I'm I'm trying to think back to even in high school and you're look at looking up in the stands, and maybe there's a girl that you like uh, that there that day for the game. Maybe you get a little extra oomph out of that. Maybe uh-huh. your grandparents are in town from yep. the East Coast, or for like maybe you get a little extra buzz out of that. Um, or just that if it's a sold-out building, I don't care who's in the crowd, you're and that's gonna play out more on defense than it is on offense, because you're trying to score on offense. You're trying to get numbers. You're trying to get points. You're trying to um, help your team win defense. It does take that extra level um, of energy and effort. And I think some of the teams that are playing well so far this season are either like young guys or hungry guys, guys that are trying to prove something, the guys that are giving you that defense. And so far with the Lakers, especially because they're scoring so easily guys, they are not missing many shots. I mean, they're, they're hitting all their threes. Uh, they're like hitting all their, po- their face-up jumpers. They're doing everything. But it's that fan element that brings out the defense, I think, that's the biggest thing.
2: That's great insight. All right, we're going to throw it to break. And when we come back, I, I want to talk about a guy who I think has been able to bring it and has really thrived. And Anyway, I, I'm super intrigued by the player we're about to talk about uh, when we come back from this break right here. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria. You can contact them the moment you sponsor a job making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is gonna get you the important hire you need. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it, and fast. Try Indeed out with our $75 credit at Indeed.com BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com backslash BlueWire. Offers valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. The wait is finally over and football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in the action at BetOnline. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. So Dennis Schroeder, he's a guy that I've, you know, when a guy joins your team, you start to get to know him. You start to get to basketball, know him. I have all sorts of thoughts on Vogel, for example, that would be a a branch on this tree we don't need to go on right now. But getting to basketball, know Dennis Schroeder and kind of what he's about, what he's good at, what situations where it's like, yeah, it's a Schroeder play right there, or this is, the mistakes he tends to make i've rarely encountered a player that like i 90 percent like absolutely love this guy right like he i'm always attracted to kind of the outsider the outcast right and and so much about his story um and and learning about him is he's kind of cut from that cloth that i just i just dig him on an elemental level And then that other 10% fucking drives me crazy. And so, but I feel passionately about Dennis Schroeder about all of it. So Darius, I've been dying to talk to you about this. I'm going to start on the 10% because I really dig this dude. Yeah, This is something I was like, I got to hear what Darius, and I even texted you guys the other day, right? Like, I want to talk about the team's passing, but Schroeder is part of this. Some of his passes, Darius, drive me insane. Like, look, turnovers happen, right? Do you do you see what I'm talking about, though, with this in that like some of them are like, what even was that? And I do worry about that on a playoff level, right, where there's a certain a degree of carelessness to it. I, I don't know. Are you seeing are you seeing the same thing? Yeah. So
1: <laughs> there was a play against the Spurs and Braun was I don't know if it was a steal. It might have been a steal but Schroeder got the ball sort of in the middle of the court and Braun saw Braun sort of came from the middle of the court and he was about to get an outlet, but he didn't get it. And Schroeder got it. Braun saw that Schroeder got it and he turned on the jets. He turned them on and he, Mm -hmm. he got up court like he was running a wheel route against a slow-ass linebacker and he's like Mm -hmm. Tyreek Hill or something he's just like oh this is six points right here and he sprinted up the sideline and Schroeder threw this pass that I think he meant to loft he should have lofted it (laughs) because he should (laughs) have thrown it out in front of Braun and he sort of threw it with no feel at all. And then like DeJounte Murray literally just jumped up and stole it with like one hand. And I was like, what the hell kind of pass was that?
2: That's what I mean. Is it's like not just a turnover. It's just like, wait, like like, what are you doing? What? Yeah.
1: like, Like you're a point, like you're a point guard. These are the passes that are in that should be in your wheelhouse. And then there are other times too where it's just like he doesn't necessarily show great feel for location. As a passer, like so he almost killed AD the other day on that spin-out lob, right? So (laughs) so and ad caught it, and it was literally like at the at the corner of the backboard, and ad caught Uh it, and then he tried to throw it in all in the same motion, and then he landed on his back. And someone in my mentions called that a murder ball, which is what they call (laughs) which, which is what they call like a loft over the middle from a quarterback, right? Like when the strong safety is bearing down right on your poor wide receiver football analogies no I'm just saying that's exactly what that is though right like because what are you doing man you're hanging your guy out to dry right here and and, and so Schroeder's an interesting cat as a player he is super good and watching him every day he's got so much more in him as a shooter like off of the dribble and in the yeah. mid range and i'm just like oh this dude's canning 18 footers off the bounce like it's nothing you're playing in drop coverage against this guy and you have to right because he's so quick coming off the dribble i said this on twitter the other day but schroeder moves up court like he's running on one of those airport walkways right like and, and everyone <laughs> else yeah, everyone else is walking and he's <laughs> on an airport walkway and he's running and he's running on one one of those, so he's just zooming by people. Yeah, and that's how he looks on the court because he is yeah. just jetting up the court and just he's so cool.
2: He's such a and cool player. Yeah.
3: In my younger days, when I was even more over competitive, I would I would wow. try to go. I would always go on the airport for like fast walk things, and and walk fast just so I could sort of outpace people even further then (laughs) then as i became more concerned about you know steps and in health and like you know getting out of shape post back surgery then i would refuse to take the the fast the uh what what do you call it fast track whatever and i i would try to walk on the side and then keep up with the people that were on there uh in order to try and get more steps in uh in in the old fitbit days that's just an aside in case anybody wanted to have a little personal anecdote about me now dennis schroeder I like he is a player of extremes and he was a polarizing player earlier in his career, especially with the Hawks. And then last year, I think he benefited greatly from Chris Paul being there. I think he learned a lot. And what, in my conclusion last year, and thus my excitement when they made the trade was that he puts a lot more on the table than he takes off, but the stuff that he takes off, the Lakers didn't have a player that really did that last year, except once in a while, well, okay, so regular season Rondo, but that went away in the playoffs. And then once in a while, Kuz, if he was not getting any, you know, he wasn't getting any shots, and so he got in there and he immediately had to get all the shots up. But in the playoffs, they had almost nothing that a guy was on the. If a guy was on the court, he was not taking something away from you uh, and like doing something dumb. That it was it was remarkable, really. And now, sure, will make the plays that Pete pointed out. Tonight he had five turnovers to four assists, and so that's made his, mm-hmm. his It actually was decent before this game. His assist turn to turnover wasn't too bad before tonight, but he does so many other things pretty well. I I really like him defensively. I like how he competes there. Oh. Uh, I like he's uh, he's a, a pain on that end, and he's not weak even though he's small. You know, no, he guarded Luca. He
2: guarded yeah. Luca as the Kawhi. primary responsibility and Kawhi, yeah, but, yeah. but no, but like he was assigned to Luca. Yeah. I loved his one-on-one battles with Kawhi. Right. Cause he's like, I'm not backing down for anybody, but yeah. he was assigned to Luca, Like he was Avery Bradley, but he's how much less does he weigh than Avery Bradley? He's got 30 pounds less than Bradley. And it didn't matter. He guard, he did a yeah. pretty good job. Yeah. He's going to yeah. lose some battles, but like God, he kicks ass on defense. Like I see the starting him, seeing how good he is on defense. I'm like, Oh yeah, we gotta start this guy now. Right. Yeah, even I mean, with
3: all of the yeah. No, go sorry, Pete. And then the offensive stuff, it's I, I agree with what you guys were saying. The shooting is what's that is sustained from last season. That was where he took the big jump. And that's the thing that I think allows him to stay on the court, even if he's gonna turn the ball over a couple times and he's like elect- sure. But Darius, the other thing here that we have to remember, because I asked him about it after the game today, he still doesn't really know how to play with AD and LeBron, and it's hard. When you're a Kuzma had this struggle as well. It took Kuzma a long time. If you have a lot of talent to get your own shot, but you've got Hall of Fame dudes next to you, there's mm-hmm. got to be something in your mind that it's, it's got to be super hard to play the same way you've always played and to be aggressive like he was in Atlanta, like he was in Oklahoma City, because you're just looking there and you're like, well, it's probably better for the team if I just give LeBron the ball. Or if I just give a D the ball, so how do I play? So that stuff, I think, is what leads to some of the turnovers and some of the shot selection as he navigates that. And the good news is he's just made up for it by hitting all of his shots, <laughs> even when he's going to make some mistakes.
1: He's such a good scorer, so so, and I think that he's wise to continue to press the scoring button because that's going to open some things up. So. And it's going to open things up for him. It's going to open things up for, for his team teammates. If there's one sort of like lasting critique that I would have about Schroeder and it's not even a critique. Sorry, I should frame this different. It's more of an observation for me is you've made this point on a bunch of pods, Pete, and it's like a great point about the decision window and where the decision window is on the court. And it's mostly around the foul line area. Right. And Schroeder as a passer, his decision window as a passer is not the foul line. His decision window as a passer is more like the charge circle. So he is a late passer as someone who is working off of the dribble. And that is a different element that I do not think his teammates are used to at this point. Because he, so he is consistently looking to score. And if he has advantage all the way to the charge circle, it's very likely that he's going to shoot it almost every single time. But some of his best passes have been where the help is just a little bit late, but he knows that the help is there. And then it's just like, where the hell did that wraparound pass come from? Or that drop pass? Like, how did he see that? But it's because the window in which he's still able to make a decision is later Because he is still thinking downhill, 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 almost all the way up until the charge circle, which is much different than I think a player like Rondo was or even like LeBron was.
2: Well, Rondo wasn't. Trying to score. He wasn't dribbling the ball with the intent to score. And I'm always fascinated by smaller guards who can score 19, 20 points a game in the freaking NBA and the ways that they do that. And with Schroeder, what both makes him fantastic can also be his downfall in those situations. And that's his speed, right? Both physically, but also mentally, right? Like a lot of those passes that you're talking about, he knows that the guy is going to come up to defend his shot because he's not he's not rondo in this respect. He will score 30 on you if you don't respect him as a scorer. And so he knows exactly when that guy's gonna do that and he's gonna, you know, bring it back around and dump it off to the big, right? But small guards have to make that decision earlier. I actually disagree with you on his decision window in a in one respect in that I think it's earlier than other players. Huh. Compare compare him to like THT When Schroeder decides to put his foot on the gas because of the size that he is, that is how he gets advantage is that he decides I am driving to the basket and this is happening right now. And a lot of times that's the correct decision combined with the advantage that he has and his speed. But sometimes somebody rotates over. Right. And Schroeder finds himself in a lot of like still frame moments. If you were to pause it in that particular moment where he's like, oh, shit, what now? type passes, and he has to improvise off of that, which can be difficult at his size, compare that to like how THT drives to the basket. Who didn't play tonight? Maybe we'll get to that. Maybe we'll get to that in a, a future pod. But THT at his size doesn't have to drive as fast to the basket as Schroeder does, and so he can jump stop. Like there's no way Schroeder could jump jump stop off of the type of drives that he's having to the basket. He's going too fast to be able to slow down, and so it's I see that like binary. I'm either driving to the basket or I am not as really being a driver of that. Does that make sense, Mike?
3: It does. And I think that I'm already, I'm already on to big picture with what he means to closing lineups and to like games that matter, the stuff that we talked about that we haven't seen early in the season, just because I'm interested in your guys' thought, if you're, if you're going there too. And I do think that he could close big games for them. There's no question, but I don't think he has to. It's a little bit more like, If I've got I've got AD I've got LeBron I've got KCP and then if it's a bigger lineup maybe it's Marcus All if not maybe it's Kuzma for another bigger wing and then I'm essentially choosing between Caruso and Shooter and on against certain teams like Portland I probably want Caruso Um, I want that defensive guy I don't need that extra usage Portland's easy to score on anyway Uh, you know I want I want to make sure that I'm not giving up walk up threes to Dame uh, and to CJ. But if it's a team where they're a little bit like the Clippers maybe they're a little bit more loaded defensively, then maybe I do want that guy. Um, if LeBron or AD are in tougher matchups that can just bust to the hoop um in a in a crowded half court. And so I I I think that he's he's good enough clearly um to be able to get to that point. And that's that's great. Like the, the Lakers didn't have that as a as another asset, another piece to use. But it just ultimately, since it still revolves around LeBron and AD and you don't want him taking away possessions from them in super key moments, that would, that's the part that I want to see evolve over this regular season is how, how does he learn that? How does that evolve? How cool is he with that? It, it's a little bit similar to Harold. Like how, how is Harold going to, um, and that's a whole nother thing about the defense, right? We saw that again tonight. So, but yeah, that that's where my, my mind takes me uh, to Schroeder is wanting to see the, some of these situations in the regular season so we can figure out what that means for big games.
1: I think that as long as he's defending, he's going to play over other players, like probably even Caruso in closing lineups. I would think that if Caruso's really going to play in a closing lineup, it might end up being over Harrell or Keefe or Gasol rather than over. Or Kuz, I guess. Or Kuz. No, sure. Over, mm-hmm. like, I think he's going to be the third wing. Very similar to what the Lakers did in game six of the finals, right? where. He basically replaced the other forward and LeBron and AD get bumped up to power forward and center basically with a three guard lineup rather than it being a situation where Caruso is going to play over Schroeder and they're going to put the ball in LeBron's hands just all of the time. That's my sense early on if he's going to defend and compete defensively the way that he has. And that's the thing, defensively, Pete, that's where I think he has shown me, besides the mid-range shooting, it's, it's his competitiveness defensively yeah. that has stood out to me as like, oh, watching you every day compete at this level, that's interesting. That's something I didn't expect.
2: I love him on defense. I had no idea he was this good on defense. He, could, like you said, he competes, and perhaps that's been part of his uh, ability to thrive early on in this season, is that like he's able to muster up more juice than the other guys, at least in as far as I've seen, or a lot of the other guys on the floor. Like He's more consistently on than a lot of guys are right now. And we'll see how that progresses as, as guys get their engines revved up. But on defense, his ability to fight over screens, play ball denial, he's got really quick hands. He's very disruptive. Our defense, to continue these NFL analogies we've been making, our defense... I think is going to be because despite all of the stuff that we said in the first segment and uh, you know, some of the, poor stretches of defense that we can play. When we're playing good defense, what I see is us as a playmaking defense, right? An NFL defense that gives up a lot of yards, but also gets a lot of strip sacks, some pick sixes, right? You're you're winning the turnover battle uh, in terms of, you know, jumping a passing lane. And now you're out in transition with this monster transition team. And yeah, maybe there are a couple of plays in a row where you go over the top of Mark in a drop coverage and finish pretty easily around the basket, or you uh similar story with Harrell, but there's enough playmaking there to win enough possessions in that respect. And the way this applies to Schroeder is similar to Gasol, but in on opposite ends of the spectrum, is how does Vogel manage disadvantage? plays into Mike's bigger picture questions about like, oh, what closing lineups could he be up against? Right. For example, the Clippers, that's the team. I'm sorry, being a little long-winded, but uh, that's the team where I'm like, Schroeder would struggle against a guy who can out muscle him, but can also handle the ball because he's going to fight for ball denial and get top position. If you can't dribble against him, he can be able, he can guard you. Right. But A guy like Kawhi would be problematic. You know, we saw a face-up possession that he won, but Kawhi burying him down in the post would be difficult to manage. What I've seen Vogel doing in our best moments is trapping ball handlers in isolation situations. The question is, can we switch? And I'm like, no, we can't with Gasol. We can't do it with Schroeder. But if we're trapping, that gets us into rotation in a way that Schroeder can participate in, that Mark can participate in. And so... All of that is to say that Schroeder for me is becoming more and more in pen in that closing lineup. Uh, he's just so much better than our other guards on offense that him being this good on defense, at least having this many positive attributes, like there'd be few scenarios where I'd be like, Schroeder should be on the bench in this closing five.
3: See, okay. So let's, let's unpack that a little further because I'm I'm fascinated by this as well. And there's a difference between Harrell and Schroeder in this context because Harrell yeah. is not able to give you defensively what Schroeder is. But right. on, the, on the offensive side of the court, Harrell can sort of just fit in and be that, you know, he can clean up the offensive glass. He, he can get in the dunker spot. He can just sort of do stuff that doesn't take away from LeBron and AD's possessions. What I wonder when it gets super tight and when the, the, it's possession to possession game, that's when I'm – I trust that Caruso – is always going to make the right decision about who has the ball and when. And I don't know yet because I want I, we just have, haven't seen it. It's been five games. I don't know how Shooter is going to play with LeBron and AD. But my sense is that Shooter is just sort of always going to be aggressive. And that's part of what makes him a really good player. But I don't know on certain nights, I don't know if I want that higher usage guy on that side of the court is long because I know Caruso is going to give me at least as much, if not more defensively. And then on offense, is he, is he going to be, is he as good of a shooter? No, but he's going to give you, he's going to set the right back screens. He's going to know, okay, wait, there's LeBron. Hey, come over here. You you get into this, into this uh, isolation. I'll run screen with you. All of that calculus. That's the stuff that I think is more important on a team that has two stars LeBron and AD than anything else. And I think it's, it's going to, the answer is to me, it's that he shouldn't be just, just pen, uh, penned in and or penciled in until he shows that side of it, that know-how that we know that Caruso has that. I think, honestly, I think Kuzma has gotten a lot closer to that. Whereas early in the season, he wasn't there yet. Um, in KCP, hmm. I think has that, although it's a little different, right? He's just, if he's open, he shoots, if not, he cuts, you know, it's a little bit more simple, but that's the part of it to me that I want to see evolve and why I'm still I'm not willing to just automatically uh, put that pen in, uh, regardless of of what the skill set is.
1: No, see so all of that makes sense, and look, I'd love for Caruso to close every single game personally because I think that he is Pete's used the term connective tissue a lot with a guy like like Caruso. Um, he is to me definitely um the guy who just greases the wheels for you offensively and players like that have so much value and the way that he competes defensively and just how smart he is. The want to always make the right play is, is just super valuable in high leverage games where every possession matters so much to speak to Pete's point though, Mike. And I think that this is where, things shift more in Schroeder's favor as like a closing lineup fixture. It's the idea of creating advantage, right? And so Caruso connects advantage to advantage, right? And so he can be the player who moves the ball from, okay, Braun is drawing extra attention kick out to Caruso or Caruso is backside. He sets a flare screen. Now there's really three or four players who are committing to LeBron, but the third or the fourth player really shouldn't be committed that far. But Caruso has locked him in with a flare screen, right? And so now the skip passes over the top and LeBron obviously created that advantage, but Caruso maintained it. And there's immense value there. Schroeder, though, is an advantage creator himself. And so this is sort of the debate about do you want another guy who's going to create advantage for you, which is super valuable already in lineups where LeBron and AD are already going to be able to create advantage, but it's only them who are creating advantage
2: and having that third guy matters. So let's further this idea of advantage creation. I would say that Schroeder, which was this is not what I was expecting, is he is an advantage exploiter. And that's why I think that he will be – he's been at his best alongside LeBron and Anthony Davis. It's the lineups at the end of the first quarter where LeBron's on the bench. As soon as LeBron goes on the bench, we turn into a hot mess on offense for like every other possession. And a lot of times it's Schroeder's doing too much. He's trying to do – do something in a a situation where he's trying to create something that isn't there. And so I would actually trust him more in those situations and, and have seen him as a better player. Like you get almost all of the good about him without nearly as much of the bad when LeBron and AD are on the floor, because they're gonna draw that attention he's a good open shot maker on his threes like he's he's making those at a good clip and, and there's no reason for that to and that was true with the tape I saw with him with OKC last year as well it's when he has to do more that the that his the disadvantages of his size and the the turnovers and the doing too much is really comes out. So that's where I'm at, Mike, with him on the idea of like, do you need a higher usage guy? From what I've seen, which is not what I've anticipated, is that he's actually been at his best alongside LeBron and AD.
3: Is that true for everybody though?
2: Um, it can be. I I think that the so who are, who are players on the team that perhaps
3: I mean as a general Kuz- rule. You, you know, like maybe? As a general rule, if you're if and this is why this is such a, a luxury of a conversation to be having as no shit, cover no. the Lakers team, it's like let's see you know because because it all as the theme of I don't know half of the podcast that I've been on with you guys, it's like LeBron and maybe are there, and so that it creates this whole, all of these other layers then yeah. to just figure out how Frank and I guess in the answer again as I'm kind of like zooming out of my own thoughts is all of the above. All of the yes. above are good situations, but what is the best of the best? And I think the Schroeder stuff it does create a slightly higher ceiling, maybe than than what anybody else can can have. But when you have the two stars, it's also about having those floor raisers, and that's really where what Caruso is as like if he's on the court, you are not going to be bad because he's doing all of that little stuff and not making mistakes
2: so for me like this isn't a schroeder versus caruso thing like i think that would be a kick-ass guard, two guards in the backcourt even if you threw kcp in there right and then got right, lebron yeah. and, and ad right if we yeah. wanted to have a three guard lineup not, there's a combination yeah
3: no you're not too small with Schre- with shooter and caruso in the backcourt either.
2: for sure and that's why like I, it's not an either or thing for me between those two but to your point which is a a, a great question was like well who isn't this true of? that LeBron and AD bring out the best in guys. I would argue that Dennis Schroeder's best is better than the other guys that we have. He's like a 19 point per game guy on his own. And then when you make his life a little bit easier, it's like, like Darius was saying, like he's stepping into these jumpers. Like they're nothing. This guy can score the crap out of the basketball. And if you give a guy like that, like, good looks at the basket that those dudes are creating man. like to me his best along with his defensive value like there's not another guy a guard that we have that compared. so let me ask you this though what do you guys think about his shot pass decision making in
1: terms of shooting versus versus looking for the roll man versus it may be an inability to make the skip pass coming out of the pick and roll because of his size like True. Versus, right? Versus, like, well, yeah, well, like that, that's my point. The drop off dump pass when he's getting downhill and instead of shooting, he looks for the pocket bounce later in the possession, right? So this isn't a knock on him, right? Because every player sort of has what their own individual style is. And every player plays to a certain strength that makes the version of basketball that they play their own game, right? And Schroeder to me is still very much like a 80 20 point guard, like 80% of the time he's looking to score and 20% of the time he's looking to pass the 20% of the time that he is looking to pass. He's a pretty good passer in half court situations. Pete, we did talk about some of the plays that he makes that are make up that 10% of the like WTF plays that, that he makes. Mm-hmm. But he has the right idea a lot. The execution just isn't always there.
3: I loved Pete's point earlier about, and I, I haven't heard anybody make it like this before, um, so I'm, I'm going to give you props for it, but the speed that he has that governs the decisions that he makes. And I'm just thinking of other guys around the league that are as fast as him, and there aren't that many. But like an Ishmith, you know, like they're if you're that fast, you almost, you have to lean more towards scoring most of the time, like, because you're, that's just, again, the game, it's hard to slow the game down to make the decisions when you can, when you have that level of speed just in general. And it's like, when you're, when you're that fast, I think in soccer. If you're you're like a, I think of like a Michael Owen, a ridiculously incredible sprinter, you're going to be up top, man. And you sprint your ass down towards the goal and you become more of a finisher. And so part of that is just the physics of his body.
1: A player comp I've been thinking about over these first handful of games. And I like comps because I think that fans can relate to them um but also i like stylistic comps because sometimes a guy just reminds you of this guy and it's fine to say that he reminds you of this guy without saying this guy's as good as that guy or like right sure. like to me it's not about no are as styles. good as that but yeah. it's like a stylistic type type of thing like uh, this guy he reminds me of and watching schruder a little bit reminds me a little bit of what tony parker was like with the spurs when Parker was sort of at his best in those high-level Spurs teams when they were like competing for a championship and he was that level player, right? Which is basically, I'm gonna score the hell out of the ball. I'm gonna get to the paint a ton. I'm gonna threaten the rim a ton when you play off me because I'm so fast, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit this mid-range jumper, right? And what Schroeder is probably more confident in is with the three-point shot, but that's like sort of the evolution of the game. It's being at this point in 2020 rather than in like 2010 or 2012.
3: Just Darius, so career stats, Tony Parker, 15.5 points, 5.6 assists, 2.3 turnovers. Dennis Schroeder, 14.1 points, 4.6 assists, 2.4 turnovers. Now that's in 25 minutes for Schroeder and Parker is... Going to be in thirty point five. So per thirty six, those are real close numbers. Yeah. uh That's so just stats. I know there's a lot more to the game, but that's a that's I'm I just I'm loving the take even more because it it's so supported by the career stats. And and you may I don't know Pete. Like does that surprise you or is it like oh yeah yeah okay I guess I make yeah sense. well there
2: there, I always talk about like the different basketball wisdoms, right? And there's, uh, we talk about the basketball gods, right? This is the basketball god of speed's emissary. They, he's got a few of them in the game at any given point. Ish Smith, right? Like the way he plays basketball. Isaiah Thomas, uh, Celtics Isaiah Thomas, putting up thirty. You know how tall that dude is, man. You've seen him up close, that dude put up almost 30 a game in the NBA. How, how does a guy I stood do that guy
1: eye eye with that guy in an NBA locker room? And I'm like, saying. this
2: dude's my size and he's out here killing that MF put up almost 30 a game. Absolutely incredible. So the question is when you watch the games and how, right. And speed guys play a certain way they exploit certain advantages one of the things that's been great about watching lebron is kind of really learning a great perimeter power player and how he always manages to shoulder bump a guy when he's in the most vulnerable position on one foot and like clears a ton of space at exactly the right moment and just sends a guy flying and it's not an offensive foul did you see
1: that like sort of like half tricep half elbow that he gave Ennis Cantor on that spin move against the Blazers. And I thought Cantor was going to fly out of Staples Center based off of how he just shot off of the screen. He just muscled that dude. And Cantor is a load. He is a load in the paint
2: it's so cool to watch in slow motion. Cause you get an appreciation for the like understanding of, ex- of balance and just like, Oh, we hit him at the right spot, the right time. There's like a, a, almost like a boxing, you know, type or martial artistry to it.
3: There's one last point I wanted to make about shooter and uh, you guys may have more, but Darius, you are asking about sort of, do you trust him to make the pass versus shoot kind of that whole decision? And an issue with anybody that plays in the Lakers is that, LeBron James is one of the best, maybe the best, I guess, magic, right? At making that decision. And that's the example that you have every game, all whether you're watching on your TV, whether you're his teammate, whether you're his coach, whether you're in the film room, all that stuff. It's like he is always making the great play there. Marcus all now coming to the team is kind of like the Rondo replacement, where you have another guy. Now, yeah. Rondo, a little different since he would sometimes overpass, but still like he always knew what the right play to make was. Mark certainly does as well. AD is kind of making progress there, but that's the, the last part of it for me where it's on a lot of teams don't have a guy like that. That's great at that. And they struggle to win games because of it. And so on a lot of teams, Schroeder would be tasked with that responsibility. But since you have LeBron, it just, it's back to that whole bigger picture thing. Uh, but I think the, the grand point is we could go on about this guy um he's exciting he's fun to talk about i'm i'm really looking forward to watching him more as the season goes on Um, i'm i'm just uh, i'm i'm waiting before i i pen in the closing lineup but he's tantalizing and i think he's going to be on the floor a lot
2: so i'll I'll close with a theory that i'd like all of us to kind of keep an eye out for that uh that I think addresses this, can Dennis Schroeder be on the court in the most important games in the most important moments, right? It's great that he can do this in early parts of the regular season. Will he be able to be in the closing five when it matters? My theory is that Dennis Schroeder will be a really good weak side player in the playoffs because the nature of being on the weak side is that defensively you are in rotation. It's a, a skip pass. By the way, we have the best skip passer of all time on our team. And there's a the defense has to go from the set position it's currently in to rotate over so it's moving, it's not set. A guy who can make open shots and absolutely shred you with his speed the way that Schroeder does. I think his role will look different in the playoffs. I think he'll be put in fewer decision-making uh, moments where a lot of the flaws of his game can come out but that guy's going to kick the crap out of people on on the weak side of the playoffs that's my theory anyway I'm, I'm curious to to see if that transpires this was a lot of fun guys um, got uh, another game on Friday we'll be recording after that one uh, again against the Spurs uh, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast we'll catch you guys next time happy birthday Bron.
1: James has got it in low to McHale McHale wants to turn he's double team just pass out of front broken up by Worthy Tip the magic Worthy dies on The Lakers win the game! The Lakers win the game! Three seconds left. That next
3: to the winner.
0: It's on the left Go! Tommy Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal! Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to
3: a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's, There's the move. Scores. Two, the score. one. Missed it! <laughs> Unbelievable. Long Long
0: the it's over. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic
3: 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The
0: Lakers conquer the bubble and banner number 17 will soon hang in the Raptors.
4: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why?